0: Welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash thedirectorscut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Barbara Koppel's new documentary, Miss Sharon Jones. Filmed in a cinema verite style, Miss Sharon Jones follows the R&B and soul singer Sharon Jones during the most challenging year of her life when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer just before the release of her album, Give the People What They Want. Forced to delay the release of her album and a planned tour, Miss Jones began the fight for her life struggling to keep her band together and doing everything she could to return to her true home, performing on stage. Anyone who has heard her music or seen this film was no doubt saddened to hear that Sharon Jones passed away the Friday before Thanksgiving at the age of 60. Following a DGA documentary series screening of the film in New York on November 4th, Ms. Copple discussed directing Ms. Sharon Jones with fellow director Sherry Springer-Burn. In addition to Miss Sharon Jones, Ms. Koppel's work includes the feature film Havoc, the documentaries Woodstock, Now and Then, Shut Up and Sing, and Wild Man Blues, and episodes of the series The Addiction Project and American Masters. We hope you enjoy hearing Ms. Koppel and Ms. Springer-Berman discuss the making of Ms. Sharon Jones.
1: Right. Hi, everybody. I'm Shari. I'm Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and thank you so much for coming. Isn't that, that an incredible
1: film? <laughs> yeah, make it more intimate, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to, we'll have a conversation. And then uh, if you guys have any questions, we'll uh, bring it to the audience. So um, how did you come to this story?
2: Ah, yeah. well, uh, Alex, her manager, decided, okay, it's time that people knew who Sharon Jones is. Maybe they knew one of her songs, A Hundred Days, A Hundred Nights. So he went to VH1, and he said, I want to do a film on Sharon Jones. And he pitched them, and they said, okay. And that was um, Brad Abramson and Steve Mintz who I had done a film with called Woodstock Now and Then. And so they called me up and they said, hey, Barbara, how would you like to do a film on Sharon Jones? And I said, are you kidding? I would love it. So you
1: were a fan beforehand?
2: No, I only knew one or two of her songs. Never met her, never saw her in concert, nothing. But I, I guess something about the way that she sings and who she is, I just really wanted to do it.
1: I have to admit, I didn't know her music at all, and uh-huh. now I'm like the president of her fan club. After seeing,
2: <laughs> oh, she would she would embrace <laughs> you immediately. <laughs> I would embrace her. Uh, anyway, so you know, there were no deals signed or no anything, um, and Alex just called and he said, uh, "I think you should go and film her right away." And I said, okay. And that was like a week later. And I went up, and the first time I filmed her, she was having her dreads cut and her head shaved. And, I mean, we just, it was a bond that was so incredible. And right after that, uh, she went to the wig store and Uh started cutting up, you know, Uh trying on all the wigs and being girlish and... I don't like this, I don't want that. And I just knew she was just going to be the most beautiful, wonderful character ever. And I never thought through the whole film that anything bad would ever happen to her. I just always thought of her as totally making it, so it was never, is she going to make it, is she not going to make it, in my mind. It was, what corner is she going to take me around next time?
1: Yeah. So the first so you knew that she was diagnosed when you started Yeah, shooting. they told me that she had had a Whipple operation. So. And did you decide before you made the film that it was going to be like more about her battle with cancer or more about her music or you didn't? Know? I didn't.
2: I didn't decide either way. I just went there, met her, saw this, knew that she was going to sing and, you know, she was waiting for her concert in February, and everything was building up to that point.
1: So, so the first time you filmed her was that incredibly emotional scene where she's getting her hair cut. Mm-hmm. Um, how was it for you to walk in and and what, did you meet her prior to that?
2: Just saw her walking down the street. Nope. We just jumped right into it. Well, a lot of films and documentaries, and I know when you do documentaries, yes. which isn't that often anymore. <laughs> I, no, I want more. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> no. Um, you, you sort of jump right in. I mean, in my film, Harlan County, one of the first days was, you know, on the picket line, and a guy got shot, you know, with with a gun. Um And he was boasting around Harlan County 38 St. So you just jump into people's lives and go from there. And I just think that if they're used to you and see you, you know, that you're going to be there filming them, but they can still talk to you and you're there for them. I think that's a good way to approach it.
1: Well, th- this was some of the most, in- it was an incredibly intimate film. You really, I think you filmed things that um, just, I don't know if I've ever seen like a person getting a CAT scan and being in the room when they're getting the results of their CAT scan. How did you do that? I was just thinking as a filmmaker, like, how did you do that crew-wise? What kind of a presence were you in the room when that was going on?
2: Uh, well, before, you know, the hospital, Um we had gotten permission to do whatever we needed to do mm-hmm. in the hospital. So we sort of had free range. And um, it was just camera or sound and me. It right. was very little. And so when we made ourselves, you know, very small and disappeared, which you can do.
1: Did she, was there ever a time when you felt like she was? oppressed by the camera or uh, didn't want it around
2: well i know that sometimes you know we'd be saying okay we're gonna come and i could just feel her like rolling her (laughs) eyes like oh them again but once we were there she was amazing i mean she wanted us there she's a really open person she wants her fans to know everything about her she wants you to know everything about her I just called her today and said, Okay, I'm going to the DGA. Um, and they're gonna show your film and then we're gonna ask a few questions after. And she just said, Oh, that's so exciting. I wish I was there. I mean, she just she loves it and she loves to talk to people. And she's always the last to leave a screening. So
1: what what was it like? I think, you know, having made a film about both narrative you know non-documentary and a documentary uh, about people that are around like one of the scariest things is when you show them the film it's horrifying what was it like the first time and and when did you actually did you wait till the film was finished or did she see footage uh she did not see
2: one little tiny bit of footage her manager and austin came in and we said, do you want to see something? And they said, okay. So we showed them one or two scenes, and then I get excited if somebody <laughs> likes it. Right. And I said, so do you want to see more? And they said, no, 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 we have a meeting to go to. <laughs> and so I said, okay. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> Abandon us. Um, and that was it. And then the film premiered, had its world premiere at the Toronto Film Festival. And all of the DAP Kings came, oh, and yeah. and Sharon, of course, and Sandra, and Star, and Alex, and Austin. So the and whole they were the, all there. They were wow. all there, seeing it for the very wow. first time. Oh wow, you must have been nervous. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, I didn't look at the screen at all. I watched <laughs> right. them, and and Sharon tells these little jokes like. I'd be looking at the screen and I'd see Barbara's face in my way, you know, (laughs) because I didn't want to miss anything that she was doing. And people were laughing and crying and holding each other and hooting and hollering. And it was it was wonderful. And then at the end, everybody got up on stage and everybody, I had everybody talk about what they felt about the film.
1: And what did they fa- feel? What were they? Well,
2: Sharon said that it was extremely moving and extremely wonderful to see. Uh, Gabe said, you got the music right. <laughs> and <laughs> it was it was wonderful oh, thing.
1: So great. So what is she doing now?
2: Well, she just finished a tour with um, Hall & Oates. Uh-huh. Um, but... You know, she's not feeling well. Her cancer has come back, okay. but she is tough, and she is, you know, doing well. As I said, I spoke to her earlier today. I'm going to Cooperstown, New York, because she's nearby there right now, and they're going to be showing the film in Cooperstown, oh, right. and so we're going to see each other next week. Oh, so.
1: that's fantastic. And
2: we talk all the time, and I talk to her manager. I saw him last night. There was the broadcast critics and television awards last night for documentarians, and her song won.
1: Yay! <laughs> bravo! It was so <laughs> great.
2: It was so great. I'm still here, so it was wonderful.
1: Can this is just? Can any of this music be, like, is it valid for Academy? Um? Um, well, I, I think um,
2: we're gonna put the song in. And you know, I don't know about the soundtrack. That's not my place. It's the Dap King. So they'll see
1: what they'll well, do. Well if anybody's members vote for it. <laughs> um well uh and and did did the movie do any kind of um like outreach to other cancer patients Because it's it's so inspiring.
2: Oh yeah. Um she Sharon went and talked to a lot of different, you know, um places where people had were survivors and also lots of times if I would show the film um my shoulder would be wet from people just saying, you know, we just loved it and you know, it gave us so much hope and so much good feeling about it.
1: So yes. Well, the other the other um music documentary that you're very famous for is the um, Dixie Chicks. What was the experience like making this film versus that film? Oh, well, the Dixie Chicks are these really strong women. And,
2: of course, you know, they were really against the Iraq War. Right. And they said something very nasty about Bush that, you know, he had... Embarrassed them and suddenly all of country music got really angry at them and started throwing, you know, their CDs away or their vinyl away and they felt really Ostracized but what it did for them was it made them really strong as women and it gave them a Friendship that you would look at and you'd say I wish I had friends that I was so tight with like that and They got nine Grammys, um, and when they first came to see the film, uh, they saw it in my editing room. It wasn't mixed or, you know, finished. It was just about, and they hadn't seen any of it, nor had anyone before. And, you know, I sort of plied them with wine (laughs) before. And it was my birthday, so I'll never forget it. And each one of them had a different expression. I mean, one of them, like Marty, had her legs up here, and, you know, Emily sat with her arms crossed, and Natalie just <laughs> looked right into the group. And at the end of it, uh, Natalie touched um Marty's leg, and she said, I never knew you would give up your whole career for me. I mean... Oh. So they learned things about each other and they really liked it as well. The first time <laughs> is always unbelievable. When I showed Harlan County for the first time, um, there was a possible distributor, which was Don Rugoff. And, you know, all the women coal miners came and Hazel Dickens came and sang, and we, you know, put a song in people's playbooks and everybody you know sang at the end and uh, Lois Scott who is this woman who had a gun you know <laughs> in her bra when she was on the picket lines you know she had been made secretary treasurer of the Black Lung Association so she started collecting money and so she said I was so embarrassed she said at Alice Tully Hall where it was having its world premiere <laughs> All right, we wanna raise money. Everybody throw their money up on the stage. <laughs> and so people were throwing five and ten dollar bills on the stage at Alice Tully Hall. And I was like in a corner laughing and she didn't realize how mic she was and she said, Barbara, you stop that laughing. You take that money and you put it in your bra. We need it, girl. <laughs>
1: That must have been in, like, the great moments. But meanwhile, Don Rugoff had fallen asleep. Wow.
2: (laughs) And at the end, you know, when he heard all this laughter and clapping, he woke up. So he figured, oh, well, the film must be good, so I'll (laughs) distribute it.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's the best story, distribution story I've ever heard. Anyway. Well... Anyway, I was wondering anybody have any questions that they would like? any comments or nothing Oh, yes, yeah.
2: well, what I always do is I had two great editors, Gene Channon and frado and since I was there for every shoot, I always let them look at the footage, whoever's editing the film and Never say a word because I know all the backstories. I know if it was hot or cold. You know, I know all these different things. And so we looked at everything. And then we just started, you know, index cards of all the scenes that we loved and what they said and started putting them together. And after about a year, the film started to take shape and come together but we knew that we wanted to have her music throughout because there weren't too many times she was actually performing in the film. And I just felt that it would carry the story, it would set the mood of what she was in. The music, there's no score, right? It's just her music. It's all her music. Her music is the score, Yeah. yeah. And also to her friend, Megan Holcomb, I mean, who just takes her into her house and does everything for her. And that's where Sharon is right now. She's getting her green drinks again, as much as she doesn't like them.
1: Not the salt pork. That's no, right. but she used to,
2: like, sneak out and buy hams and put them in <laughs> Megan's refrigerator. And so we had all of these debates, and then she wanted to have Snickers for breakfast one morning, you know
1: but was Megan in Toronto? What? Everybody. Wow. Yes. That must have been incredible. Everybody. Yeah. The, the question is, how did she record the live music? Well, we had David
2: Lai, who um, does the music for the Dap Kings, and Mike Jones, who's one of the great sound recordists ever doing the music. And that's how we did it. And we had, five cameras and, you know, and then a camera backstage doing doc stuff. Yeah. And if you need to know more, I'll introduce you to my child. Oh, of course, yes, I can. Um, she hadn't gone to church in a really long time, and she had sort of separated... You know, her singing, because I never heard her sing the whole time she was sick um, until she got well. But she just really wanted to go to church. And she went to church, and the music just overtook her. And our camera person, Gary Griffin, that was all done in one take the singing and the dancing. I mean, we did one cutaway, because just to make it a little shorter but everything. I mean, he was amazing. He was wonderful. He just watched her throughout singing and just really felt her and looked at her feet and her body as she was trying to get a breath, and then she would open up, and it was just a really, really beautiful scene. It was the first time she had sung since she had cancer. I don't know. We always wondered about that, too. (laughs) I mean, we would always, like, scan the audience for diversity (laughs) as we were filming, so it's a really good question. Yes, they were white. I mean, even at the Apollo, when she played, they were white. I, I don't know. Even in Augusta, there were a few people of color, but not many. But at Augusta, when I showed the film practically the whole audience was of color. So that was great. That was wonderful. All her friends came. All her family came. Everybody. It was, I mean, you couldn't even hear the last part of the film because people were screaming and singing and yelling so much. And people got up and danced. And it was just, it was one of those beautiful things I've ever seen.
1: Any, any other, how did she meet the Dap, like how did her uh, Sharon and the Dap Kings come together? Yeah,
2: well there was a job opening <laughs> for a backup singer and she was the only one that came and she <laughs> said, well I can do all three, no worries. <laughs> and then she finally, you know, and she had been playing with Sandra and Star for a long time uh-huh. and so she brought them into the mix and that happened about 20 years ago. And they're like a family. I mean, for me, what this film is a lot about is sort of family and love and hope and friendship. And
1: yeah, that's, cause that's
2: her second film. Because even when they could feel her, you know. Getting out of breath at the beacon, they would slow it down. I mean, they all just had each other's backs and so many years of wonderful things together.
1: It was interesting when she... I love the scene where she got angry that they didn't want to go out to dinner because yeah. that showed that, how intense their relationship And was.
2: how much she wanted to be with them for a Thanksgiving family, yeah. yes. Yeah.
1: Like that was her family. Yes, yeah. I think you had another question.
0: A-
2: yeah. Well, they did other jobs. They, you know, freelanced on other jobs. Um, the Depp Kings are a really good band. They backed up, um, Amy Winehouse for a long oh. time. And Sharon got really pissed. That's <laughs> my band. You come back here. But yes, they did other gigs and they worked while she was, you know, not working. They had to. They had families to support and, children and you know a life
1: does Alex have other bands or is it just
2: yeah he has one or two other bands but his main band is you know Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings
1: their relationship is extraordinary extraordinary
2: he's the sweetest gentlest most wonderful guy and he changed her life when he walked into it and really is trying to put her on the map so
1: well, I think he did. <laughs> yeah.
2: She's a beauty. She really is.
1: I wish she was here with us. <laughs> she is in spirit. <laughs> any any more questions or <laughs> She it said she sang at weddings. Yes, for a she while. had yeah. a wedding
2: band, good and plenty. She had a wedding <laughs> band. So she did that for a long time and the guy who orchestrated that also came to Toronto and also came to Doc NYC, so where it showed also. It's also showing, if you want to tell anyone, at Doc NYC on the 16th and the 17th of November. So if you have friends, tell them, go see it, go see it. We'll spread the word, everybody. All right, and thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. Check out past episodes of the podcast by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org podcast. We'll have a lot more episodes coming your way over the next several weeks, so stay tuned. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page, so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.